0: Looking for a new career? Welcome to do HVAC Training Service Center in North Charleston. Enroll today in our comprehensive HVAC training hands-on field experience-based program. Covering troubleshooting, maintenance, installation, and more on various HVAC systems and ductwork. We offer EPA and NAEP preparation and testing, along with various certifications. Enjoy payment options. Take advantage of their November specials. Achieve certification in under five months. Enroll now for your new journey of skill development and career advancement. Log on to DEW Backtraining.sc.com to inquire.
1: Hello and welcome to Lakeside Drive. In this episode, I'm going to cover just a little bit of this week's F1 news and developments. It's only a week until the televised traffic hits Australia and it's been pretty busy. Let's start with what is obviously the biggest news coming out of McLaren Racing, where a statement has been released announcing a restructure of their technical team. Who would have thought? Big news from McLaren. So they have departed from a single executive technical director, James Key, who had overseen the entire technical branch or or operations. Their new structure will comprise of an F1 technical executive team, which involves three new specialist technical directors who will all report into the team principal, Andrea Stella. So, the team, executive team, includes aerodynamics, which is Peter Prodromu, car concept and performance, which is David Sanchez, who is returning to McLaren after 10 years at Ferrari. But this won't happen until. Next year. And then the third is engineering and design, which is Neil Holdy. So this will be a promotion for Neil, and he's been with McLaren since 2006. But that's not it. <laughs> Under Peter, so aerodynamics, we also have the promotion of Giuseppe Pet, who is getting a promotion to director of aerodynamics and also chief of staff. And we also have a new COO who is Piers. This role, and I'm quoting now, will support the team principal in the mission of innovating and elevating the standards at McLaren to be strongly positioned to be competing at the front of the grid, which tells us absolutely nothing except for the fact that peers will report into Andrea. But where to start? I think firstly, this is much less of a snap decision than it might initially come across given the on paper poor performance at the start of the 2023 season but changes like this take months and months and months to line up and it had already been reported um, earlier in the month on March 9 that David Sanchez was leaving Ferrari which was before Jeddah even took had taken place so I think it's pretty safe to say that this was the plan actually for some time and articles that start off with things like, Off the back of a disappointing start to the season, McLaren will revamp its technical department is actually extremely misleading. I think the timing actually makes more sense in the context of the wind tunnel and sim, which they're saying should be ready to launch later in the season and wanting to have their preferred structure and operations in place prior to those two infrastructure pieces coming into effect. But I think the tricky thing is is the timing with F1 and events in F1 can always be quite misleading and, and also quite confusing, even from things like on the broadcast where we see delayed radio messages, for example, and then we go and attack a team for saying something to a driver a certain time, but actually we're getting that message quite late in the pace. It could be a lap or even longer since that message had been delivered right through to technical developments and when they start getting put into place. So, for example, in this scenario, if the 2024 car is amazingly fast, who's going to get credit for that? Will it be the new team? Will it be James Key? Because apparently it's already in the Toyota wind tunnel. So also, you know, similarly, if the updates that they're talking about for Baku are a massive game changer, well, then perhaps actually that's great news for Key because he can up his price tag <laughs> a little bit. Although, of course, in classic motorsport style, McLaren are already down playing how much of an impact those upgrades or that package is likely to to have. From a personnel perspective, I think this actually makes quite a lot of sense in that it would have been Andrea Stella and Peter Prodrami who had major technical input into the development of the 2020 2019 car, which showed real signs of potential. And Sanchez is actually a pretty heavyweight signing. If you think about the lift in performance since 2020 at Ferrari, obviously they're not without their issues, but he would have been a significant part of the, at times, very quick car that we see at the moment. But to me, the question with this change is really around structure. Ultimately, three technical directors who do, they do all still report into Andrea, which is a good thing. But this is the type of organizing of roles that only works if each technical director has a very high level of autonomy for their department if decision-making parameters are abundantly clear and if communication between the three is absolutely rock solid. As somebody said in our Discord, let's replace one director with three. What could possibly go wrong? Heaps. (laughs) The other thing is that we still have Zach lurking around and I think many people find this quite problematic and potentially undermining for the team principal as well. So I think what's going to be tricky as well with this new structure is that there's so many variables going on at McLaren at the moment. You've got a new driver, a new team principal, new structure, new roles, and let's be clear the hires won't stop with what we've already learned. New wind tunnel, new simulator, the list goes on. This is going to make it really difficult for their analysts to understand and really pinpoint which of those changes are ultimately working and essentially delivering performance to the car and which of those things are ineffective and which are making things worse. So having so much change at once is also obviously a massive impact for the broader organisation. So I think obviously the management of that change is going to also contribute to its effectiveness. But as always in everything Formula One, we will see what happens. In other news, um, the Sporting Advisory Committee. So we should be seeing some more information and detail come out in the next few days from F1 because the Sporting Advisory Committee met on the 23rd of March. And at this meeting on the agenda was the item discussing the conflicting precedents for what specifies working on the car. So we all witnessed the mess (laughs) that was Alonso's Podium, no podium, podium situation last weekend, whereby Alonso served his five second time penalty during a pit stop for incorrect starting position, and this was all hunky dory until the remote operation centre told race control, are uh, actually, maybe it wasn't properly served, and could you please ask the stewards to investigate?" The stewards then said that the jack was touching the car while the penalty was being served and that it was agreed at the Sporting Advisory Committee that touching the car means working on the car, except that that information came from the race director and sporting director and as Aston Martin in a writer review were able to show, this is in fact incorrect. No such agreement was in place. Oh, and also here's a bunch of other examples of previous situations where the Jack has touched the car and the time penalty was considered to be served um, correctly. So Alonso gets his his trophy back. There's also a myriad of issues relating to communication, but I think that might be a whole other topic for a whole other conversation about F1 and the FIA in that relationship. But for now, once again, we watch this space and no doubt they'll release that um, clarification the second we publish this podcast. But the FIA have said that they will address this and clarify it ahead of the Australian GP. So it should be you know, in, in the next five, or six days. But basically they just need to specify much more precisely what working on the car means so that this doesn't happen again. And it doesn't look like Aston Martin did anything wrong in this scenario, but I think it's also a bit of a, catalyst for teams to make sure they've got their processes just spot on because it doesn't look like anyone will be getting away with much this year if we look at what has already been dished out at the first two races. And it's also a bit of a classic example, which is across the board in Formula One, of how when there is even a minute space for interpretation in the rules, the teams will find those and do their best to use them for their advantage on track. So it's just one of the reasons that the FIA has to be absolutely watertight when it comes to the rules and what it means in this scenario, for example, to to work on the car and make sure this doesn't happen again. There was a great short video moving over to Williams, um, which was uploaded on their Instagram and it's a short from one of the longer videos on their website, which is called The Vow's Verdict. 10 points for alliteration, by the way, to Williams. So this is basically Jane's vows answering people's questions, including the logic behind their tyre strategy, thoughts on things like Logan's lap deletion, which, by the way, he said was completely by the book. It looked harsh but was actually entirely as the rules um, would would expect. And also things like, you know, is there more potential to unlock the car and what surprised him about the car and, and all sorts of questions not exactly news, but I just thought it was interesting that with this type of content, I think it's really great. I think teams that let people in, in this way, is going to really help with positive fan engagement. And it's a really interesting time in Formula One, where we've got some really popular drivers who have left or maybe leaving the sport, obviously Daniel Ricciardo being one of them. And teams are going to have a really hard time trying to have their fans as being team supporters, as opposed to driver supporters. And this is the type of thing that can really bring people into a team and say, I love following Williams because they give me the best content. They let us be part of the team and make me feel like I'm valued as a fan and as a spectator. And it does help shine a light on things like performance issues, which are often kind of danced around in really vague, overarching statements. And the thing is that as humans, When we feel informed whether or not we like the answers, it helps us to feel settled because at least we know. Our brains simply hate the unknown. So, for example, one of the questions that he answers was, why didn't Albon box as soon as he realised that he had break issues? So VALS explains the use of telemetry systems, which tells them if they might be able to resolve the issue remotely from the garage and avoid bringing the car in, which obviously means that they lose a lot of time. And in this particular scenario, they have a brake-by-wire system, which combined with certain switches on the steering wheel can deactivate a sensor, which is telling the driver that there's an issue, and ultimately restore all of the braking performance this doesn't happen in a matter of seconds. You know, they tried, what he explains is that they tried all of these different default modes by a combination of their, um, you know, their commands as well as driver commands with switches and steering wheel. And this takes time, you know, to try all those different, those different modes, which unfortunately didn't work. And then the brake disc they learned was still generating heat and temperature. So they knew it wasn't entirely um, a, a, a malfunction that they would be able to fix in situ. It probably wasn't terminal either, but regardless, they were going to have to bring him in. And then they identified after that, the need just to bring him to a stop for safety reasons. So while I think we can all understand that, you know, obviously teams can't share intricate design details and problem solving details and new developments that they've uncovered or discovered, this level of information strikes a great balance of bringing spectators and fans out of the dark and feeling like Team principals, are, team principals are not politicians. It gives us a little bit of insight and go, oh, okay, that's why they didn't bring him in. I understand now. And we can kind of you know, let that frustration <laughs> fizzle out. Um, and much like the, you know, the contributions that we're getting from Benny Collins, which we've discussed in the last couple of podcasts in the broadcast, it just makes for a better experience the more we understand. Also, just sticking to William's They have released a very Australian, Australia collection for the Melbourne race. So you're forgiven if you think that you're seeing Olympians everywhere, if this sells well, absolutely rocking the green and gold. So love to see that getting around Australia um, for the upcoming race. Let's jump over to Ferrari for a minute. Now, what we're learning from interviews as well as what we saw last weekend is that They kind of have two issues which they need to work on but they're really intertwined. They're so deeply connected when it comes to actually winning a race which is strategy and tyre management. Now Fred said that's where we have to understand the main issue and if we have some improving to do, it's clearly with the management of different compounds over the weekend. So like I said, when it comes to tyre management and strategy, I don't think they're things that you can kind of untangle. I think they are completely connected. Um... But he feels like they actually made really notable improvement from Bahrain to Jeddah. But that the issues, particularly with that hard compound tower, hard compound tyre, was what got in the way of delivering results in the second race. This is very interesting to start actually pinpointing under strategy what is it that's going wrong because it does feel like the entire Ferrari is just blowing up every single weekend. But he makes the point that actually, not everything is going wrong. We have these these specific issues, and rather than just saying strategy, let's actually understand what that is. Okay, it's tyre management. Something that I would add to that is adaptability. So there's teams who just get this right when it comes to making decision make, to making decisions under pressure and very quickly when there's been a sudden change in the race conditions. We've talked about Hannah Schmitz and her approach to this, and I think it's something that for whatever reason Ferrari just doesn't seem to get right. Um, they don't get it right frequently enough. You know, it's kind of a bit of a surprise when everything goes well for them. As the boys mentioned in our Jetta race review, it's obviously way too early to see how freight is going in this team and it will take quite a long time to... feel the effects of new leadership and technical expertise as well obviously in order for technical expertise to be you know delivered on track it's got to go through testing and and everything else and just for them to even understand the team so it's going to be a while before we can really start holding him to account when it comes to race results Um, but once again we will wait and see (laughs) Finally, we are heading to Australia very soon. And we spoke. I spoke earlier about, um, about merch. <laughs> Valtteri Bottas just keeps it coming. So their roastery in Finland have done a collaboration with St Ali, which is a Melbourne coffee roaster, which, while very well known, I would actually argue is not the best, but I'll leave the coffee chat to Tommy T. Um, so they've created a special blend called The Mullet, and the artwork is absolutely incredible. It's by a Finn um, uh, artist, so great collaboration between Australia and his hometown, so check that out. Um, he's also doing a pre-race weekend ride on Wednesday morning, I believe, called the Mullet Ride, and every mullet that shows up gets a free coffee, which is just outstanding work, BB. We love you. Keep it coming. Or if you're struggling to find ways to spend your money, there's also an HL bottle of DR's Cab Stab with St. Hugo. Again, better wines out there, but I'll leave the wine chat to James. You can, you can take that one. But that's it from me today. I'll see you in Australia for another Albon Tyre Masterclass. And until next time, over from Lakeside Drive.
0: As a major research institution, Arizona State University offers the most online bachelor's degree programs, along with world-class faculty and dedicated support. Discover why ASU is ranked number one in innovation for nine consecutive years. Tap to learn more looking for a new career? Welcome to Do HVAC Training Service Center in North Charleston. Enroll today in our comprehensive HVAC training hands-on field experience-based program. Covering troubleshooting, maintenance, installation, and more on various HVAC systems and ductwork. We offer EPA and NAIC preparation and testing, along with various certifications. Enjoy payment options, take advantage of their November specials, achieve certification in under five months. Enroll now for your new journey of skill development and career advancement. Log on to DEWH back training sc.com to register sports social podcast network